Hi, I'm Emma Cousin, an artist in South East London, and I started this podcast to keep us artists in touch under lockdown. I wanted to talk to other artists about the impact on the artistic community and explore what's changed, what's lost, and what's discovered. In this episode, Paul Kerry Kent and I chat about his writing routines and how they've changed. And we talk a lot about books. We talk about the danger of books, the pleasure of books. And we end with suggestions of art, dance, and box sets that are helping us get through this strange time. Thank you for joining us for Chats with Artists Under Lockdown. Hi, Paul. Oh, hello, is that you? <laughs> it's working amazing. I'm sorry I'm late. Oh, no worries. <laughs> it sounds a bit bizarre to be saying that. I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks for um, agreeing to do a podcast. It's exciting. Yeah, be good. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Well, I think, uh, like everyone, it's strange times, but... I suppose for two weeks now I've been under this unusual house arrest type condition. <laughs> for one week it was uh, quite a novelty and nice and the second week I've still got plenty of writing and things getting on with um, but I'm starting to think that a month would be difficult, three months you start getting more frustrated and less feeling that it's a positive opportunity to catch up on all those things you never quite got round to. Uh, so I think it's a moving picture probably. Yeah, I think also that through, I was just talking to someone this morning about the three months thing. Like it suddenly becomes rather than what you could catch up on, it's like a three weeks is a responsibility to do something. Uh, yeah. Sorry, three months. Three months, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, so you need so, to write a book or something, don't you? Which I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all those frustrating examples of great people that did great things with this time. Uh, but it's more like what trying to balance, I guess, what we want to be doing, what we feel we need to do for like health and mental health and our loved ones. And then what we ought to be doing uh, duty wise, I guess. Yes. Um, and then I guess some people seem to be really leaving the time open to like to let things come to them, to really just like meditate, have a little walk, sit still, which is my idea of a nightmare. But yes. sounds. <laughs> Sounds also. I, w- I wish I could. I, I'm, I'm intrigued if that could if that would work better. Not that there's a work and not work scenario, but mm. it does seem. It feels a bit like that. There's this imperative to sort of do something with it, whether that be sit still and wait for inspiration or be active. I don't know. So, how are you filling the time? Uh, well, I had quite a backlog of articles and things to write, uh, so I'll be doing those. Um, and, and how's been, sorry to interrupt I just wanted to know how that differs from because you already did that a lot in your real life um, which was already quite complicated um, but did involve a lot of like you you wrote on the trains a lot so you'd see shows or you'd visit artists and then at the end of the day as I understand it you'd like collate everything and sort of write on your train journeys back to Southampton so uh, yes but I did write here as well like I get up early oh, okay. and I'd write things um, so I suppose that's not that different but it's probably a useful opportunity because I, I had quite a few shows lined up and things to write which you get through more yeah um but also I was visiting this probably sounds a bit crazy but I was visiting at least 100 shows a month for the last 
10 years, 15 <laughs> years probably. That so, explains a lot. <laughs> and traveling quite a lot. So most months I'd be on some sort of a long journey, maybe abroad, maybe uh, north of England or something. Mm. Uh, so, but I've been retired for two years. So at the same time, it's a sort of normality to not having a job you have to go to. But I do tend to set up a lot of things that I'd like to do. Yeah. Even if I ha- don't have to do them. Uh, so there is a big difference with not doing all that visiting and going out but then that's more time to actually write things and then to catch up on other things like uh, I mentioned I was sorting out all my books into uh, a better order having moved house fairly recently not got round to that um, and I've been uh, I, I do a lot of Instagram posts which are, I used to take notes when I went to shows mm. which I could then type up and not not in detail but and then i did a blog which i've kind of stopped doing in the same way and they were all searchable whereas for instagram stuff you can't really search and it's quite useful when you're curating or writing to be able to search things you've done in the past so i've kind of i've been transcribing my instagram captains which are quite long and informative wow. into, into <laughs> a, a document i can then search so that's quite useful so then when i'm for example i write uh essays for elephant magazine which are themed around something like uh maternity or uh luxury uh it's quite nice to be able to search everything you've seen in the last few years that involved say luxury instantly so those kind of things are quite useful <laughs> so it's almost like an index of the the keywords or something like the references well, you just transcribe stuff across and once you've got wow. it in a word document, you can easily search it for any keyword, yeah. It's interesting, that idea of transcribing, because it's something that, um, it's almost like a translation, I find. Like, you find notes and you're like, did I, did I even write that? Like, it feels quite detached from, I guess, what you were thinking at the time, but even uh, how you were feeling or how you related to it, you're potentially more uh, kind of trying to be more objective than that. But I'm just interested, like, have you stumbled upon a anything in that transcription process that you're like oh this is this is still interesting or this is something I need to revisit or this isn't or this doesn't quite make sense or I don't know is there being any good oh, finds yeah, any yeah. you do and you, you find things where you think oh, I don't remember that at all <laughs> yeah exactly exactly that's what I would do <laughs> that's interesting and have you been doing that with your poetry too because I know you write or you did write a lot of poetry have you mm. been writing again or have you been finding time to go through old poems or or is that not because it's interesting what headspace we're in whether that sorting out is the same space as creating and I know we're going to get onto that in a bit but I just wonder yeah. specifically about the transcription have you managed to is there anything else you're sort of transcribing or uh, spending time to note down or not really no um I haven't actually started writing poetry again maybe that's something I'll do that's one of those things where um do you do you feel the odd circumstances immediately inspire that kind of thing or do you feel you need a bit of time before you get to that space uh, and yeah. that's something that applies in all all media I think no that question definitely definitely and I think it's interesting because things like sorting out the library I just want to come back to that because I think it's, it's, it's this instinct of something which I mean the word luxurious comes to mind like it's quite it's a real indulgence to have time with books to hold them and smell them and I, I always find when I'm sorting out books, even if it's a small pile, I don't get very far because I end up sitting down with one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I just... No, it is an indulgence. You're right. It's one of those things you think, well, I'll do it sometime. Exactly. Uh, and then it's, it's nice to get 
get round to it. Although Agnes Martin did fall on my head from a high shelf, and although <laughs> he's uh, not the most aggressive artist normally, uh, I actually got a bloodied nose from the dangerous business, as it were, of sorting out your books. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I also love that she's such such an like you know in like solipsistic artist and she's the one that fell on your head yeah it's a <laughs> certain irony to that <laughs> being someone like Thomas Hershaw and I'd have thought well that's to be expected yeah maybe uh, she was telling you ought to be meditating yes possibly which uh, my wife Steph she is she's meditating every day yeah uh, there's much more you're talking about that contrast I'm in the kind of always filling the time up kind of approach she's more of a have a meditative routine and regime and uh uh, spend time to go inside as well as being focused outside yeah I mean I'm interested in that in a way in terms of um, where the creativity can come from whether it's that external energy and maybe going inside more I don't know it's, it's maybe scarier because there could be nothing there which is quite scary like if you sat there and nothing happened it would be a bit devastating <laughs> for someone who's used to like that value of doing um, but also that the idea but that... that's not your value, you want to empty your thoughts, don't you? That's more of a... Uh, she's taking more of a Buddhist approach. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. Less. Yeah, the, the idea of emptying out, to me, is quite scary, mm. um, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. And it's something I'm trying yeah, to think I'm, about. I'm with you there, yeah. yeah. More, you know, because in, in emptying out, obviously the, the, the goal is some kind of higher consciousness or some kind of higher version of presence, being present in the moment with yourself, how you feel... But I suppose in a way, if we're constantly doing, we're moving away from, potentially, from how we feel. So it's interesting to think about that connection too, how to tune in um, in a way that doesn't feel, like, catastrophic or, (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you tried it? I I haven't. I have in the past, but I kind of concluded that my way of being in my my moment and feeling uh, calm myself Mm. is actually to be uh, in an active moment and it doesn't worry me or stress me that I've got lots of things to do whereas some people are different yeah I think it's it's just what what you need and so I don't feel that I'm particularly attuned to that way of being and others can be and I I think it's fine to have both approaches but I don't feel a particular need same as uh, I don't feel a need to have a, a religious aspect yeah I just don't feel some things I need in my life uh, but I perfectly accept it and appreciate that other people want those yeah things. no definitely and I also think there's something about even the idea of like tending a library that you know you're sorting through books has an it has a form of like paying attention a slowing down a cataloging yeah. a list making mm-hmm. it's I, I mean to me that sounds like I mean, I've only done a bit of it because I'm, I always get distracted. Um, <laughs> but that idea of um, kind of sort, even the idea of like, let's put books together and what almost like, um, you know, mini conversations, like let's have a dialogue of five books. What would that dialogue be? Mm-hmm. Like a constellation yeah. of books, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that, any of that happened. Like how were you organizing it sort of um, very classically or were you, have you come up with a different system or in terms of transcribing mm. and reorganising? Has anything jumped out, apart from Agnes Martin falling on your head, literally jumping out? Well, fairly classical, alphabetical uh, ordering of basically all my art monographs, of which I admit there are a couple of thousand. Whoa. Uh, and I was, I was finding that when I, when I um, 
when I wrote on an artist, uh, the time taken to find a book on the artist uh, was sufficient that I ended up just looking online and not looking at a book I might have had. <laughs> so now I'm in a position where I'm thinking when I want to look about an artist, I will look at the book first, which seems a good thing. Why have the books if you're not going to look at them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. And also that, that if you can, it's all, all that thing about being seen too, isn't it? Now they can be seen so you can find them. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas before they're kind of invisible, even though they were right there. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find anything that suddenly, a bit like Agnes Martin, like did she become important or was it more like, you know, what, were you supposed to see that book or was the book just going to fall on your head because you were doing it too quick or whatever? Uh, well, it's more because the, I put too many books on one shelf and so the, it collapsed <laughs> and the books fell off and that, that was the lead book on the shelf. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, I didn't read anything much in, into, into okay. it. Uh, again, I'm not the superstitious sort either and I don't think these things... See, I've, I've realised I really am in this time. If something happens that changes my sort of angle or I don't know it's a nice time to turn to, to let those connections happen maybe the kind of um you know you're reading one book and it leads you to something else and I guess that happens a lot online actually you go down these rabbit yeah, holes nice, yeah. but mm. if it's interesting yeah. to do that with real books and real uh you know even the plants in here and I don't know whether you have house plants mm -hmm. but that kind of various things sort of start to talk to each other for me anyway maybe I'm genuinely going crazy but um <laughs> which is quite possible but that's uh how it feels and even the the idea for this podcast this idea of a chat um then I started to come across all these things about people kind of uh, instigating dialogues um and what that could what that looks like and even retreating from dialogue and um mm. different forms of use of that um particularly like um Lee Lozano's piece dialogue where she just in, she, she just writes a concept for a conversation that could happen and she invites one person to her space her attic to have a conversation um but it's never recorded it's never documented it's just a piece of paper with an intention mm. and but then she did later actually famously withdraw from uh the uh, art scene shortly and, after that uh, piece yeah yeah, exactly. And, and from any contact, I think, with women? That... And, and say again. She withdrew from any contact with women, I think. I think it was any contact with anybody, um, from what I've read, which is, um, you know, fairly loose, to be honest. But it feels, it, it definitely uh, intimated that she withdrew from all contact and kind of wanted to disappear, to see if it was possible to disappear, um, as, a, as a conceptual art piece, um, which, yeah. Which seems interesting in the current moment when we're all kind of in these, we're all disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> um, anyway, so that was a really interesting find for me that I'm still kind of, I've become a bit obsessed with her because I had no knowledge. I had a lot of knowledge of the paintings, but no knowledge of this conceptual practice towards the end of her life. And, and actually the conceptual practice being a thread throughout the early works as well. So this weird concept, uh, this duality in her practice, I suppose I wasn't aware at all. Um, I'm just looking up online. It does say that uh, there's an embargo on contact with oh, other women. Oh, specifically women. That is interesting. I didn't know that. It's, does it say why? Uh, it's a means of improving communication. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean... Seems, that seems right, ironic. So that's the kind of statement I was coming across from her all the time 
1969, she began a steady withdrawal from the art world in work she titled General Strike Piece and Dropout Piece. She decided to boycott women for a month or two as a means of improving communication with them. Seems a little contradictory. (laughs) For unexplained reasons, she continued this piece to the end of her life, despite the great inconvenience. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of an extraordinary decision that something like this could move you towards um in a way and it's that kind of how to use this time again comes back to mm. yeah I don't know just turning it into a oh I mean I guess it's a form of taking control as well like if this time is I think you put said house arrest if this time is like inflicted upon us how can we sort of take ownership of it or somehow be more in control in a way that we're not just freewheeling through it um given that so much is unknown and it is genuinely scary and you know, kind of horrible, mm. and and um, and a lot of it is, it's you know, it's a hard time to know what to trust. Too, I'm finding that idea of contact and touch being so much about building trust and connection. Um, that even you know, contact in terms of like touching someone you're having a meeting with, or someone um, a neighbour, you just pass them something and glance them, or that idea of touch as communication is um, is something that I'm dwelling on a bit. Um, yeah, touch has become a a negative somehow. Well, I was it? thinking about how to define that because it's not exactly weaponized, but it's it's sort of it's become something, yeah, which is um, which is a threat. You know, it's the thing that we're most wary of. Um, I don't know. Yeah, this this idea of the need for touch and the need for touch in terms of um, like not not just affection, but it builds various. Um, you know, senses of community. Hmm. You're saying you think the like the definition of as a word of touch is changing in some way. Um, well, I've tried. I mean, I've got a really. So I did look up what you know. What does touch mean? The definition, the etymology, and the idea of touch really is. It, it's got this lovely like range of um, alternatives or explanations or di- dictionary definitions, and it just came up as handle, hold, pick up, move, press, tap, pat, nudge, prod, poke, push, glance, and it goes on and on and on. This like kind of gorgeous list. Um, Does it include infect? Well, this is the thing. I mean, it, it then becomes you can say a small amount of so a touch of a trace, a hint, a suggestion. And to glance someone is quite interesting, I guess. Um, the French, like, I think it's tokier, toshier, um, to touch, to mm. knock, to mention, to deal with um, is kind of where it comes from originally. Um, but I guess I, was, I became more interested in knowing, like, why do we need to touch? Why is that important? So that the ideas of touch starvation and, um, and, and, and touch starvation, if you, if, the, if you look up, sort of touch starvation there's a lot of papers written about skin hunger which i loved that term um <laughs> skin, skin hunger hunger, What's that um, term? hunger. yeah it's thirsty or hungry for touch and then touch deprivation um so that idea of of it being you know that you need it's, it's we're in a time of uh retraction contraction maybe as well do you feel that because we both live in a couple it must be different if you're living on your own in these circumstances but do you feel it anyway like more broadly than just um 
when you're in a couple and you expect to have touch continuing. Mm. Well, I was I was reading about that too because actually, as a as a married couple, and we're both married couples, um, there's there's a various like data which goes through, and I, I realize every marriage is different, but this there's data that proves that you touch quite a lot in the first year of your marriage than you know, at the beginning. You know, when you're when you're courting, you'll touch loads. When you're like dating and when you fancy each other loads, you'll touch each other loads at the beginning. And it's sort of an exploratory thing and an experimentation, apparently. But it's also this idea of um, like kind of marking some form of like this is serious. This is an intensification of something. And then as you're married, apparently you level out to one of the pair's like um, comfort level of touch. So one of you might be really touchy feeling. Uh-huh. One of you might be. You, you level, you level down, down. It works. exactly. And I found no. that fascinating. Yeah. So in some ways, like I think, naturally one of us would be more touchy feeling, and the other one might not be. And you tend to level down in your coupledom in your relationship. And then a lot of people, mm-hmm. obviously, we we don't have kids at home with us under this lockdown. Um, but people who have kids, that then is also compromised because the touch comes from a different place. So you're getting it from one source, but maybe it's, it's, it's dialed down even further in the couple source. So I just thought that was really interesting too and something I didn't really know about yeah. either. Um, and so, and that's the one thing you can't replace on all the virtual substitutes, which are what has come to the fore as a result of the, the lockdown stuff. Yeah, I think, I think that's very true. But then I was reading, so alongside that, you can also obviously like just touch your own skin. So the idea of when someone puts their hand around the back of their neck or touches their throat, they're feeling nervous. It, the, the various, this, various psychology papers um, were, were sort of referencing this idea that we, we could pay more attention to ourselves, you know, like hold our own hands and hug ourselves and these sort of things, which is kind of an amazing thing to think about. Um, I don't know, it might feel completely weird and, and, uh, not, and not helpful, but um, apparently in terms of scientifically, it does release the same oxytocin um, I'm sure there's something in it. I, I did read that um, porn sites have had far more <laughs> traffic in the last couple of weeks, and that's probably part wow, of that spectrum. interesting. Well, I also think there's that thing of, because it's interesting thinking about as a couple, if you're then dependent on that person only for your touch, I found that you almost resent it as well. So you get that idea of being, being more dependent than you would normally be physically mm. and that's like a deficiency to me I, you know to, I'm very independent and I want to keep that kind of stark independence so although I know I'm kind mm. of more needy for the touch I'm also kind of pushing against that and being a bit defensive about actually I'm, I'm all right I don't need I don't need need you to be there um but then probably I do need all right you don't yeah, want to be needy. exactly yeah. so there's that really I'm finding it this real kind of friction between the two sides of me that wants to one on the one hand give into it and be cuddly and whatever and the other hand wants to um you know push push back and be like I'm fine I'm cracking on with it and I'm okay um so I just thought in terms of touch taking away the emotion behind those two statements thinking about it in terms of touch is really interesting just personally for me to be aware of um I guess Mm. um yeah and 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 there are words that have kind of emerged haven't there which um I know um, furlough is a word which I hadn't, I hadn't really, I don't think I'd heard of. Oh, I'm glad it wasn't just me. The current two weeks, they're probably not just you, no. Uh, which I think means when you're given leave of absence without pay and without a particular end point. 
Uh, so you technically retain your job, but you cease working for your employer uh, and you don't earn a salary. So it's a bit different from uh, leave without pay. Uh, and it's a bit different from obviously paid leave. Uh, but that seems to be become quite a, a common new term. Well, I think, but didn't it originally? Yeah. Originally, it came from something that was used from a leave of absence, especially granted to like a service member or a missionary. Um, yeah, I think it's sold exactly. Yeah, which is quite yeah. specific, and it feels like this whole that all the language around war and we're fighting this common enemy and the war cabinet and um, yeah. all that yeah. stuff. This invisible enemy. Um, the idea that they're using furlough just sort of bolsters that strange tactic, which I don't know if is helpful mm. or is actually really unhelpful. Um, but I think it's interesting that that word has, has then been, been sort of appropriated and used to grant a leave of absence to this, this idea of like service members. So it's more than just your job. It's almost like you're taking a hit for the, like the, the economy or for, I don't know, it, the implication is not as personal maybe, um, I don't know. But there's a community service yeah, aspect Yeah, this idea yeah, of like the greater good, good or something. And I know a lot of people who have been furloughed and who don't feel good about it, obviously, because it, the, the pressure that mm. then puts on them. Um, and it is personal. Yeah, it's always, I think it's always hard yeah. to not feel like you're needed or useful, um, which is something, again, that's coming up at this moment, like what's, what, what, what can't, what, what, you know, what's the opposite of the person furloughed? It's like the the NHS and the, uh, the people stacking the yeah. shelves and the, the people like even delivering post and stuff like my grandmother's on her own and you know grandma getting a letter like makes her own makes her day completely and she can reread that letter but if mm. the post doesn't come then she has no access to the outside world at all apart from the phone which is weirdly detached for her I think um she's got like hearing aids um and and I think it's very it's difficult for her to navigate that isolation. Um. There's a kind of inequalities built up, isn't it? In that there's a vast minority of people who are busier because of current mm. circumstances, and there's a bigger majority who've got kind of nothing to do. In the world. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was. It was interesting thinking about that in terms of retirement too. I was thinking about kind of, I don't know, because obviously you're you you haven't just gone into retirement, but you kind of phased it in slowly and then adjusted a bit. Um, so that mm -hmm. idea of of creating a space where you've kind of given the option to do nothing, um, and, and actually not many retired people obviously do nothing, but um, it, I guess if it's enforced upon you, which retirement sometimes is, is interesting too. Yeah, anything's different if it's forced on you than if it's your choice. It feels different, doesn't it? And the the psychology here is the fact that it's forced on yeah. you. Yeah, definitely. And and I guess it's also the idea of the inequalities in terms of if it's forced on you and you you need that job to live on and, and, and eat, then that becomes mm -hmm. a lot more imperative and a lot more scary and a lot more threatening yeah. than someone who can just sit at home and do their gardening. Like, it's kind of a completely different inequality. Yeah, um, mm. yeah which is... I don't know, which is interesting in terms of what the furloughing or what the uh, what that idea of like setting something to one side or, or this this pause moment. Because um, one of the words, the other words we were talking about was postponement. So this mm -hmm. idea of like putting something off or you know, because it's not an indefinite leave to to do the gardening. <laughs> it's like 
we don't know how long this is going to last. So it's also something I was thinking about sustainability um, of that postponement. So the idea of, you know, after, after it like post postponement literally means after to place. So it's like something that can happen afterwards. Um, um, but I liked all the definitions of that as well. So I'm just going to read the definitions of postponement. Uh-huh. So to put off, to delay, to defer, put back, carry over, adjourn, suspend. And actually, if you keep going through these various lists, you actually get to mothball, which I thought was amazing. Because that's that for me, that's such a powerful description of kind of how it feels. <laughs> Um, you know, we're in the bottom of a draw and we're like waiting for this moth to come. We've got to do our job and sort of let out this invisible scent and sort of hold ourselves together. And we're probably a bit fusty. And, you know, I don't know, there's something about the the word mothball coming up that I thought was really comedic. Um, And Yeah, well, mothball does sound a more permanent thing, doesn't it? That's that's true. Something you associate with years somehow. I'm hoping we're only associating this with months. True, we'll find true, out. true. I mean, it's also interesting that the use is to, the use of the word postponement. So it was, it went, it was at its lowest in like 1800 and 2010. So postponement might be uh, on the on the up this year as well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is bizarre. Yeah. But I was wondering, like practically, what for you and. Um, has been postponed like in terms of exhibitions or writing or visits with artists or um or uh, curating you know shows um so on the one hand that's one question and then after that maybe we can talk about what that might have allowed like ideas coming up so what's been postponed uh yeah well i had perhaps a bit crazily i had set up for curating six shows in the first five months of this year and two of them have happened but one is currently um sort of held in abeyance mm. uh, which is at cnc gallery in forest hill and then four of them are, are now effectively deferred at least until the autumn um the biggest of those which you were in actually which is the one in norway um which had 25 artists and perhaps a good timing i've, I've just finished writing the text <laughs> on all 25 artists when it kind oh. of became clear it was going to be postponed uh, but that means we're quite well forward and well prepared for uh, mm. next year when it, it'll be postponed for a year, that one. Yeah. I mean, I mean that idea uh, of postponing something for a year is also really weird because it's almost like it's a convent year or, I mean, I couldn't help thinking, which is obviously very personal and, and specific, but the idea that I could have gone off and had a baby and then come back again. <laughs> I mean, obviously with the foresight <laughs> that could have happened, but um the the just the idea of that i guess that it's a year that that hasn't happened this like null year um so like career or in terms of like the work you're making um that work being put on hold for a year or, or maybe i mean do you envision to the work will now be different work in that show well it may may change yes uh, because artists won't have the same work available or they'll produce something mm. new they'd like to have in it whatever uh maybe there'll be different artists as well so quite a lot of things could change in a year Uh, and i just wanted to quickly say the word abeyance which is a really nice word um it it means a state of temporary disuse or suspension just in case anyone wanted a definition it's a lovely word (laughs) the fact there's a temporary in that that's a more positive word than yeah and i think it also it's this idea of being held 
So it's it's sort of rather than just being dropped somehow, it's like held temporarily. Um, and suspended is mm. kind of interesting because might, it might mean free fall, but you are sort of potentially held by weight and gravity and people and an institution. Yeah. yeah holding yeah. me. Um, sorry, go on. So mm. there's six shows. And the other, other word I've come, come across, which I, I think it's more like a practical word, but I quite, quite like it, is fomite. F-O-M. Fomite. F-O-M-I-T-E. And that's a, an object that may be contaminated with infectious organisms and serving their transmission. So it's more of a trans scientific mm. word. But uh, there's a lot of people worrying about what you touch yeah. and what will pick up uh, potential virus and whether it will get transmitted. So the term for all those things is, is the, the potential mm. fomites. So it might, might be a useful word Ooh, in yeah, every conversation. I also there. have just looked it up as well. And I liked also that it says... Um, literally touch wood and tinder like that the idea that you could light a fire with it um like it's a fire starter um in a good <laughs> it, is. Yeah, it is it is yeah, yeah that's, that's very yeah, good that's isn't really it great. oh interesting i hadn't worked, come across that word so that's interesting um great okay so the ones that have been postponed has anything settled i don't think so no i i had um Two postponements just for the, uh, mm. the kind of virus position, and then two which were going to be at Art House. One which uh, we were Rebecca Fairman who ran Art House. One tragically died just before the kind of uh, coronavirus position became predominant. Uh, so they would have been postponed anyway. So they kind of been yeah. postponed, but we're hoping that will be in the autumn and that um, Art House One will start a program again. But that's yeah okay so we don't idea. know the position on that yeah it's a real obviously yeah. a, re a really horrible event a tragic event um and i think there's a lot of people who are who are very much kind of still have her in in our in mind you know especially at this time where we have yeah. we have time yeah. people like her people like rebecca Fairman definitely keep coming up in my mind and um, yeah, she's an important person to, yeah. to give time to at this moment, maybe to think about and like go through what she's, what she's done and what that space has, has offered over the last, you know, years, years and years. <laughs> mm. Um, interesting. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> um, so nothing's postponed, nothing cancelled. What about, um, studio visits? Is there anyone that you were visiting their studio that now, are you doing that remotely? Can you do it via Zoom? Are you doing... Uh, is there anything yeah. that it's kind of maybe cancelled but enabled to do an alternative way or...? Uh, no, I, I did have some studio visits set up. Um, uh, Emma oh, Talbot, yeah. for example. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they got cancelled. Um, and... Uh, Emma, she's one of the artists actually, having just cancelled the studio visit, it turned out that I was asked to write on five artists for Fiden's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing where you do a hundred artists on a particular thing. This is the next version on drawing vitamin D3. And they've asked me to write on five artists that and she turned out to be one of them. So that was quite helpful that I've been thinking about her and about to visit oh, her and then I've just been writing about her. And, of the five I was asked to write on three, I was actually already in contact with, which was useful. So I was able to um, mm, mm. ask a question. <laughs> and you do that on emails? Or are you doing that via this uh, kind but, of thing? Yeah, emails. Yeah, both. 
by email. Yeah, I didn't think of making a, a virtual studio. Was I mean, it, it might no, not be possible for everybody, idea. but even to, to somehow use. see... I, I'm really interested how people are setting themselves up, even at home, like if there's a table or if there's a... Um, like there's some amazing images online that look like people have just kind of accommodated their whole living space and it's become this immersive kind of, yeah, evolving thinking room, um, which I'm sure is, is good and bad, <laughs> maybe bad mm. for the people who live with them. Um, but there's, uh, it's just interesting to see, I guess, people's, in terms of their process and practice, studios are always. Yeah, that's true. And of I've seen more of yeah. these galleries perhaps making the online offering their main thing and perhaps trying to develop it. I'm, I'm not sure any of them have gone as far as they might yet. It started fairly primitively with it's just uh, putting up the works and uh, press release and maybe mm. a video going around the show. But there is potential to do more with that. For example, I always think the ideal way of seeing a show and in a way the reason you go to openings quite often is that you can talk to the artist yeah. about the work in front of the work. That's something you could certainly replicate in a uh, an online walkthrough type experience and give everyone that. Which, which that, that would be giving you something online that you actually don't normally get when you go to the gallery. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I also think the idea of having some kind of um, like Q&A where there's the four artists involved in the show and then the curator and maybe an external person. Yeah. Um, could be really interesting too because that's the sort of thing that often yeah, can't happen because yeah. of time and everyone's busy and everyone's all over the world but now ironically we're more mm. kind of um in touch in that sense you know we're all on a level playing field of being stuck um which is quite interesting so yeah i'm, I'm wondering if there's going to be more of that which is kind of which is good i think they have there's the odd podcast that's been done under lockdown um and a talk art have done a podcast mm. Um, with Issy Wood, um, yeah, there's yeah, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of podcasts, podcasts. I guess. Um, yeah. But that one's really good, so yeah. it's interesting. And then, I guess the fact that uh, we've got well, internet mm. in general, but Instagram in particular, means this is quite different than it would have been. If the same thing had happened ten yeah, years ago, it would have true. felt quite different. I mean, also the idea that there's, yeah. you know, thinking about yoga and meditation. I mean, I've never seen as many free yoga lessons on in, on online as there have been on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, it's quite <laughs> overwhelming. You could do. I was saying to Tim, you could do yoga all day. Um, you know, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but but amazing too. And I'm just wondering when that becomes monetized because I think there's something been something really exciting about people's generosity at this moment. Whether that is like just speaking to someone or get like dropping loo roll around to someone's house or mm. whatever it is, like small things or big mm. things. Um, and the pledges that have been made for like wellness mm. pledges yeah. to the NHS and that kind of thing as well. Um, so that could be interesting. Mm. Have you seen the um, artist oh, yeah. support pledge? Yeah. That's another um, kind of monetizing thing. That's actually very successful. Matthew Burrows has started that. He's an artist yeah. I know. Yeah, that's right. Near Hastings. And he started that. He seemed... Uh, and uh, there are now... Over 20,000 works offered on that, which is where uh, you, the artist posts things online with a top mm. price of £200 allowed. And if they sell five, they then agree to buy one from some from another artist or sell £1,000 worth. And that seems to really take it off. Apparently, there have been over £10 That's million pounds worth of sales wow. through that, as well as 20,000 Wow. Posts. I mean, um, he did. I don't know how he did it, but he seemed to set that up immediately. It was such a fast response. 
Yeah, well, it's only been going for. But it was uh, right at the beginning. Days, it was. Oh yeah, it's been, You know, the first day. It was, it was yeah. Sort of there, beginning which of I the, just couldn't believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, all credit to him for getting, getting in there and finding a way that people feel, and maybe maybe the people who wouldn't have felt it was so imperative as it becomes rather than weeks, months, it is going to genuinely really help a lot of artists and and technicians who are um, you know out of work and and and, and can't uh, can't make a living, can't yeah. earn anything. Um, yeah. Although they can make work, can't they? It's a bit different for artists in that they can very largely get on with their well, work. Well, unless they can't get into uh, the studio. And I guess also the anxiety levels might prevent it. But yeah, I totally forget what you mean. In some ways, it allows the time to, to sort of get on with things. And that's definitely... I also feel like, for me, there's an imperative to use the like negative or the anxious or the worry energy to try and speak to that or use that in through paintings and and keep you know use that kind of i've got to do that gotta gotta make something drive um to 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 genuinely reflect what's right does that how how strong this do you think your work is changed by the circumstances what you're making it's a really good question something that obviously you can't help ask but asking yourself when you're making you know to be honest, I don't really want to be making COVID art. Um, so <laughs> hopefully it hasn't changed to that extent. But um, I was already painting these ghost pictures, um, these ghost paintings, which is just paintings with people kind of covered in material and stretched, and the material connects them to some extent. And the material stands in for the tension that was the skin before. So I was more interested in that idea, um, I guess, of using this, the, the inside-outside of the body threshold uh, and the, the fold or the, the, the fold of the material being a, another way to describe skin, movement, volume, form of bodies. Um, but I think inevitably this mm. idea of uh, being covered or being like, even wearing, being masked, um, you know, you, you think of like Magritte's paintings with the wrapped figures and um, there's, there's loads and loads of artists that seem like their work could be used as examples of things to think about in isolation you know in this moment of isolation and containment um so i'm very aware of it and i'm hoping it's not it's not really about any of that um in a way and um, i think i'm trying to counteract that by reading a lot of specifically like ghost related things rather than reading the news for instance so i'm reading a lot of other things but trying to avoid the news um as much as one can without feeling responsible for knowing what's going on to some extent um yeah mm, yeah I, I suppose there's there's art that you can look at stuff that's already been made and think you can apply that somehow mm. to current circumstances but the, the weekly column i've just done i've called touching from a distance which is after a <laughs> joy division lyric uh, and uh, which uh, and shows various works that I think can be reinterpreted in current circumstances, but different from actually making stuff new. I think some artists are doing that yeah. and posting stuff online. It feels a little potentially early, but uh, different. Well, I also think there's that idea ways, of the literal connection. Like to some people, it's helpful to respond in that way. Um, I do think it will take a lot longer to filter through the effects of this, the ripples of it, the hopefully the changes that might come out of it, which are constructive, um, but also the amount of the death toll and the kind of the amount of loss and that, that idea of it being quite a traumatic period. Um, I think those things take a long time to work their way through the body and to work their through yeah. what, um, kind of social. 
the idea that we can't sit and talk to each other about this and touch each other and hug each other, I think that will release so much after this as well. We've got that whole wave of like release, which has a long, you know, that relief has, is very much not on the horizon immediately. So I think that will be the next step into moving through working out this period, I think. Um, Do the last kind of show to open that I wrote the text for mm. was um, Peter Matthews uh, at White Conduit Project Space in Islington. And he actually is a kind of radically self-isolating artist in that he makes his work oh. at the edge of the ocean. And he takes, he takes all his canvas and his and materials with him. He camps out for weeks um, at the side of the ocean, <laughs> uh, totally isolated. His canvases go in the sea. Uh, he uses sticks and stones mm. to apply the paint. Uh, he uses the canvas as a shelter yeah, yeah. and sleeps under it, that kind of thing. So it's quite radical, but that that's quite interesting in this moment. I mean, mm. that practice he's been doing for some years. And he, he he does paintings that combine the Pacific and the Atlantic coasts and then uh, in two halves. So that's another thing he does. So it all, all feels very... Uh, yeah, kind of, that's a, a resonance to the current time, but actually comes from, from something which was already existent. That's probably the the, the more promising. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I keep it. coming back to like watching obsessively watching Lamentation, uh, which is Martha Graham's piece, uh, dance work, which is about six minutes long um, or seven minutes mm -hmm. long, and you could watch various iterations of it online, like on YouTube. Um, and it was it was made originally in 1930. Um, and really it's about her absolute desire to communicate how she felt. Um, and she talks about wanting her dances to be felt rather than understood. And I think that feels really important in this moment that we can feel those rather than having to work out what they're about to some extent. Um, and I really liked that. And, and the work's about grief, really. It's about the essence of the, the body struggling with the material it's in. Isn't that a body... Kind yeah, of yeah, that's, that's my way to it. So basically, it's a dance piece. That there's one dancer there seated, which is again quite counterintuitive because dance obviously is about mobility, and this this dancer is 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 seated the whole way through the piece, and then is in this kind of structure in this material which is very constricting, so that all you see it's almost like a tube-like, a grey tube-like material. So you see the head poking out, and you can see these sharp kind of um, uh, stretches of the material where the legs are. Um, so the figure's got to kind of try and dance and move in that space. Um, so and she, she sort of wrote about mm. the piece being performed entirely seated in this tube-like purple jersey to kind of um, think about the, the tensions within the body, the struggle. And it's supposed to be a portrait of the very essence of grief, basically. Um, and the dancers, it's interesting to think about the dancer, dancers trying to move within that constriction like how do you even find your arms when they're tied down like that when they're kind of so tightly held um and you have to sit down all the very time constrained, so very, very limited constrained, very limiting yeah. um but i think the stretching nature of the costume like shapes and reshapes the human body into these really unusual forms that become very exciting and like super dynamic um, and actually Graham, so I've got a quote from Graham that she associated the piece to the ability of stretching inside your own skin. And she wrote that in 1991. Um, uh, and I think that's, that was just the most gorgeous uh, description that you just think, 
like if we could yeah, all sit right. with ourselves and try and stretch within our own skin, how pleasurable that even sounds like it could feel. Um, so that piece is something I'm coming back to a lot. Um, and it was also interesting that that's, so in researching a little bit, the, the five postures, the key five postures that kind of appear in lamentation have been taught to students as well um, of very, varying like abilities or, or, or um, experiences. Um, and then when they're, they're often taught to visually impaired students as well, um, who find it a, a, a kind of a great experience because their movement doesn't have to look like what it looks like, if you see what I mean. Um, so it makes you reflect, like for me, it made me reflect on that idea of it being about perception as much as visual approach, that we're so used to being optical, maybe something about this stretching inside our skin can, can move us into different senses that maybe are less utilized or less mm. harnessed like in our normal life when we're just running around trying to get everything done kind of thing so you're escaping your normal well life I'll, I'll maybe not escaping because i feel like there's some form of like um contact like almost contacting that bit of your um perceiving that you wouldn't normally does that make sense yeah, so it's different awareness. Yeah, yeah not, not because that escape, piece is super awareness. present. And it's, yeah. um, you know, it also makes me think of the idea of her saying she wanted a dancer to be felt rather than understood. It, you can't help but think about Beckett's works, particularly the works for female voice. Um, I almost said female body, but they're always disembodied mm. generally if it's a woman's voice. So that idea that you don't necessarily mm. understand what the piece is about, but you feel what it's about through the, the sort of texture and the timbre of the voice and the pace of that voice. Um, there feels like a real parallel there. Yeah, and being, uh, being stuck in a, in exactly, a bin for a whole or even place, a piece, kind of similar, um, isn't it? Where they're stuck, you know, she's stuck with the, and it's just the mouth and she's literally strapped in. Like Lisa, there's a really great YouTube video on Lisa Dwyer talking about the female plays of Beckett. And um, she's strapped in physically. Like it's painful, it's uncomfortable, it's restricting. Um, it's physically very laborious and she can't see anything. Her face is strapped in. And the only thing that can be seen by the audience is this teeth and these lips and this mouth, this teeth, you know, tongue, um, which is amazing um, and very powerful. And so all you can take from that visually is words, which obviously isn't visual at all. Um, yeah, so I think there's, there's some parallel there between those two things that feel uh, useful for me at the moment. And there's that Magritte painting, isn't there, with the uh, is it Land of Dreams with the uh, uh, yeah, faces yeah, yeah. totally covered in sheets. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, they are in touch, though. Like, they're kissing, aren't they? Uh, right. I think they're kissing. I think they're kind of in they Britain. They're sort of inter interlocked. I think, there's more oh, than, okay. I think there's more than one of okay. the painting of that. Some they're kissing and some they're not. That's probably right. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, say again. Did you say you wanted to read a poem? Well, so I was going to. I was going to say. Did you say you were going to read a poem? On, um, I, I kind of asking everyone really just to recommend if there's anything you're reading. I mean, we kind of talked about looking at things maybe um, that we wouldn't have looked at before, but anything that you're reading that you recommend, or maybe like a consolation of those, maybe a few a few of those, uh, or if something you've watched or a film or anything you can recommend. Uh, well, 
I've been you kind of think this is a time to catch up on some long <laughs> uh, box set type thing from <laughs> programs I suppose and uh, two things we're watching at the moment which we're quite enjoying I think one is Suits which is a legal drama uh, has has it got Megan um, Markle? We've got in like it? eight series of this, <laughs> so, yeah, it, so it could last a while. And that's the one with Megan Markle in. That's what it's probably famous for now. But it's actually it's really it quite. It, it's not kind of um, super high quality, I suppose, in sort of seriousness. But it's um, it's uh, very mm-hmm. entertaining and uh, diverting, I'd say. Uh, and we just started watching one, which is you can, I think, suits you can easily get. Yeah, the series all quite cheaply but um actually on on channel four's catch-up there's uh, a, a sicilian detective drama called malteser the the mafia detective which we're finding is pretty good too and that's easily available so i'd recommend those two as kind of um yeah uh, zoning yeah. out type tv if you're in that mode and uh i've just read the, the last book i read was is ah. transparent things by uh nabokov uh which is quite a short novella and not it's sort of interesting i'm not totally convinced but i'm fascinated by it <laughs> it's only 130 pages um and the reason i read it is actually the currently uh postponed or at least closed uh show at cca uh in uh goldsmiths is uh based on the, the starting point of that novella uh which uh he talks in the mm. start about um well, this is a quote actually when we concentrate on a material object whatever its situation the very act of attention may lead to our involuntarily sinking into the history of that object novices must learn to skim over matter if they want matter to stay at the exact level of the moment transparent things though Mm. through which the past like ghosts like ghosts Uh, and then the novel is about yeah so there's kind of something kind of ghosty about that the novel's about uh, a man who revisits stages of his past in in switzerland and uh, uh, it doesn't directly relate to that but when you get to the end you think what was uh, transparent in uh, in what way of the things he's encountered and the experiences he had uh, that's that's uh, I mean Nabokov is always is a brilliant writer um, and uh, I remember uh, I used to mm. admire Martin Amis's style I mean I still do but uh, for whatever reason I read one of his books before I'd read Nabokov and then I realised that most of <laughs> what's good about his style is taken from Nabokov. So it might be a good episode, a <laughs> but good he does it very well. to read one alongside <laughs> so, the other and see. Uh, <laughs> so, but if I, a poem I think is, um, I mean, a poet I like is uh, Norman McCaig, who's a Scottish poet, mm-hmm. died in 96, uh, 1910 to 96. Um, and uh, his poems are very much about the outside and uh, mm. Scottish uh, farming and so on. So kind of opposite of being constrained. Uh, and this is one, Stars and Planets, which looks beyond our world anyway. But it also ends with a line which mm. kind of feels like if you're in isolation, what you might be feeling. Uh, so it's only a short poem called Stars and Planets. Uh, and it, it's about stars Ooh, to start nice. with and uh, how you see them. Trees are, uh, trees are cages for them. 
Water holds its breath to balance them without smudging on its delicate meniscus. Children watch them playing in their heavenly playground. Men use them to lug ships across oceans through firths. They seem so twinkle still, but they never cease inventing new spaces and huge explosions and migrating in mathematical tribes over the steps of space at their outrageous ease. It's hard to think that the earth is one, this poor sad bearer of wars and disasters, rolls roycing round the sun with its load of gangsters, attended only by the loveless moon. That's gorgeous. So that's probably how it yeah. might be in isolation, attended only by the loveless moon. Uh, yeah, sure, it. that's interesting. Uh, you, it you also feels like there's an game. aspect of, because a lot of the yoga practices are talking about being grounded, like feeling the ground and the triangle of the body, like rooting down, um, you know, the idea of mm. we're feeling quite flighty and scared and anxious and how to stay in the room, in the on the earth, in the ground, like relative, I guess. Um, yeah, amazing. It's really beautiful. And it's weird because... Yeah. Sorry. He's a brilliant... Yeah, he's a brilliant observer of things, McKay, generally. I'll, um, I'll read you one one line from another poem, which is uh, perhaps his most famous poem, Summer Farm, but this is brilliant. A hen stares at nothing with one eye, then picks it is up. That it? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you yeah, well, that's one line, yeah. <laughs> that's I thought it was like um, a Claire, you know, pond. Um, I thought it was like a Claire Bennett, super short. Um... Oh, right, a very short poem. Yeah, yeah they're absolutely short. But no, it's from a longer poem. Nice. But yeah, it's a brilliant line, I think. Um, I actually have a few. Did so you I have a poem? Read, um, which is weird because it really yeah. relates to what you just um, talked about, uh, about the globe kind of. I mean, it's, it's um, a section um, from a book called uh, Flights by Olga... Tokarskzuk, T-O-K-A-R-C-Z-U-K. I don't know how I'm supposed to pronounce it, but it was recommended by a, fr a friend who's a writer in, in New York. And it's, it's a series of like kind of short, pithy stories that don't really intersect, but sort of flow somehow. It's a really interesting read. And for this moment, it, it somehow feels less disjointed than it did when I tried to read it before. Um, and there's just some really beautiful moments in it, I guess. So, and, and none of the stories are quite short enough for me to read. So I'm just going to read this bit completely out of context, but it just shows you kind of how beautiful the words are. Um, and it's about this, the globe, which mm -hmm. is interesting because I didn't know you were going <laughs> to read that poem about the planets. So it's a section, uh, one of the short stories. Um, just trying to find the title. It's not... Not that short, this one. Um, it's called, I think it's just Water. Um, and this section, oh, sorry, no, it's called Everywhere and Nowhere, this little story. They're all back to back, so it's quite hard to find the beginning of each one. Um, and it just says, yeah. I also think that the world will fit within, into a groove of the brain, into the pineal gland, it could well be just a lump in the throat, this globe. In fact, you could cough it right up and spit it out. So it's just a short bit from that. I thought it was a, a really beautiful um, section. Yeah, that's kind of the yeah, weirdly, going inwards equivalent of the moving outwards. You were going to read that. So 
um, which is really nice. Um, and then books I'm like read, I guess, um, things that have that I've coming to because I've got this time. Um, it, uh, so it's actually some of the some of the books have been lent to me by other people. Um, so one of them is a really kind of it's very feisty. It's a feisty book called "You Know You Want This" uh, by Kristen Rupert. Book, yeah, uh, and it is exactly as it yeah, sounds. Good title. It kind of gives it to you, even if you kind of don't quite know how to swallow it. Um, and it's kind of sexy and dark and um, it's like psychological. And again, it's a series of short stories. Um, if you can get hold of it, it's really worth getting hold of and, and even passing along to people. This was given to me by um, Harriet Cooper. We're in a, like a book exchange. And then Susan Sontag's short stories have just been given to me just before this time as well as part of a little exchange. Um, which is with Hannah Hughes, which is um, I'm looking forward to reading. Apparently it's quite spacey though, so I'm not sure what I'm going to make of it. Have you read, no, I have you read her novel, The Volcano uh, Lover? That's an interesting novel. No, I will, okay. And then the one I really want to read at the moment is The Ear Witness by Alias Canetti because it's got these phenomenal um, names of characters. It's like a list of fantastical characters. Um, that just sounds really brilliantly imaginative. So I'm going to get you, get you sort of uh, imagination drilling along. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reading. Sounds good. Um, and I'm just wondering if I can find, I don't think I can find it. Um, Um, but no, I can't find it. It's a really short poem I was going to try and find, but maybe I'll try and find the next one. <laughs> well, we've, <laughs> yeah, we've reached an hour, so it's probably a sensible Good amount. Well, point. thank you so much um, for having a chat um, and leaving us with lots of things to think about. And um, keep safe and, yeah, keep reading. All right, thanks a lot. All right. Yeah, take care. Thank Have you. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Bye. All right. Yes,